With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Talking Chop Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Brad Roland. This is episode number 18, and uh, we're coming to you live on this fine Sunday evening. It's late on a Sunday night, but that's okay. It's always good to talk some Braves baseball, and today, joining me is the great Eric Cole. What's going on, Eric? Hey, buddy. How are you doing? You've, uh, how, how do you enjoy that Game 7, huh? Oh, my gosh, man. Uh, my, but yeah, my NBA duties... Uh, obviously helped me to uh, make sure that I had to tune into Game 7, but I definitely wanted to anyway, and that's probably why we're recording late. We don't want to say that out loud, I guess, but it, uh, it's certainly why we're recording late. Let's, let's go ahead and, let's go ahead and admit, admit to that. And uh, But yeah, I enjoyed it a great deal, um, Whether you, whoever you were rooting for. Um, I didn't really have a rooting interest, which makes it even more fun, uh, just to enjoy the way it went down. And uh, another great sporting event. I know this is not a bas- basketball podcast, we won't do a lot of basketball, but it was a whole lot of fun for sure. Uh, it was definitely a lot of fun, uh, even though I'm a long-suffering Knicks fan. Um, oh Lord! Yeah, it's pretty brutal. I didn't. But know you know, it was it was a great game to watch, and you know, even though I was like a little worried that we we're gonna be recording late tonight, like I'm like pumped, and you know, there's lots of fun things to talk about with the Braves going on right now, and I was a little worried that I wasn't gonna have like the energy going into it, but like after that game, I'm good. I'm in. Yeah, me too. I think energy will not be at a, at a low tonight, and part of that is the reason. Uh, you know, the Atlanta Braves are quietly or not so quietly playing their best baseball of the season, uh, coming off a sweep of the New York Mets uh, this weekend, and uh, with five straight wins, uh, I ask you plainly, Eric, what is happening with the Atlanta Braves right now? I mean, well, they just got a quarter of their win total, you know, in basically a week that seems good uh, except for yeah. the fact that it's in june but hey it's good yeah. it's good <laughs> uh you know freddie freeman's hitting out of his mind you know five of his past seven games he has three plus hits uh that seems good uh eric ibar has six hits during this win streak which seems based on his play of the first couple months improbable uh he still can't catch the ball but you know at the very least he's being more productive at the plate um they scored 31 runs in five games which again seems good and based on how what we've seen out of them before, up until now, it seems almost impossible. Um, and they've, they've been pitching really well with the exception of the one game where they went 13 innings and it seemed like, you know, every time someone scored, you know, the other team came right back and, you know, tied the game right up. Uh, and they ended up winning that game in extras 9-8. to Freddie went for, hit for the cycle in that game. And, uh, you know, the Reds, you know, took a two-run lead in the 13th inning and then we all thought the game was over. And then, you know, out of nowhere, just like RBI single, RBI single, RBI single, the game's over. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch, uh, especially since it's been a really tough season uh, as a Braves fan. But at the same time, the, I, just watching the players that they have on the field and what they should be accomplishing, I didn't feel like they were nearly as bad as what their record was showing. So it's nice to see them kind of Things leveling out. I'm, I'm not going to ever claim that this is a playoff team, but I certainly didn't think that they were like you know as like historically bad, which is what they were the first month or two of the season. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't think anybody expected that. I think Coffee has been public about saying that he didn't expect that. Uh, our staff, you know, we didn't have a ton of high expectations about this season, but at the same time, nobody thought this was going to be a, an historically bad team. So it's fun to watch them play well. Um, I think of Ender Inciarte on Saturday night, kind of just taking taking over the game as much as much as you can in baseball, um, doing everything, running the bases with with uh, with fury, playing great defense. That kind of I think he um, definitely you know integrated himself with the fan base in a really positive way with the way that he played on Saturday night, and that was probably the best one of the season. I mean, national TV, 
um, come from behind or come from you know a, a battling back and forth game against an arch rival in the Mets. And that was a whole lot of fun. And to follow that up with a sweep and a Julio Tehran one hitter. Yes, you heard that right. One hitter on Sunday uh, afternoon to close things out. It was, and you know, it's again as you mentioned, this is not a, a season that's it's really going anywhere as far as wins and losses are concerned. But seeing the team play better and seeing them play an entertaining brand of baseball is a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's funny. I mean, at the height of Julio's powers, I mean, he had a couple ch- chances at no hitters. You know, once was one was broken up like in the ninth inning against Pittsburgh a couple years ago. Uh, another one was against the Twins, and he like he went deep in the games with like these like like you know with you know no hitters or you know really close to perfect games, and they would like get broken up by like a solo homer because that's just what Tehran seems to give up. Uh, so it was really kind of nice to see him really put together a good outing without giving up any runs. Uh, got him some national media attention, which he, frankly he deserves. He's been really really good this year. Yeah, Julio's been really really good. Actually, um, we can kind of at least halfway transition into the mailbag. We got a funny question about Julio Tehran from at Sam the Man 180. He plainly asks, uh, "Is Julio Tehran the greatest pitcher of all time?" Eric, your thoughts? Uh, absolutely not. Um, well, that's not uh, a fun uh, opinion at yeah, all. Well, okay, well, okay. <laughs> First of all, if you are a true baseball fan, you need to watch Clayton Kershaw pitch because you're not going to see a lot of pitchers like him period in your lifetime uh but he's been i mean tehran's been awesome and frankly every game he pitches makes it more likely that he's going to be in atlanta brave for a long time because the price is not going down on him uh this past offseason he was a very high like a hot topic you know whether or not he was going to be traded and honestly you know i mean he's kind of turning into the player that the braves want to have around which is a young guy under control for cheap who can perform on the field and you know if i'm you know the braves front office I'm thinking to myself, what what do we really want back? Uh, because this is the kind of player that we want on our roster to begin with. Yeah, for sure. I, and Julio, uh, with how he's pitching this year, there's a lot more safety in him than really any other pitcher in the system anywhere, obviously. He's already the best pitcher on the staff, and um, he's still young enough, and the cost control is so appealing that it, uh, it definitely uh, validates the uh, the rumors that, Tara, you know, that the asking price for him is off the charts. Uh, this week, John Heyman, uh, formerly of CBS Sports, now of FanRag Sports, um, Put a report out there um, surrounding both both Freddie Freeman and Julio Tehran. Basically, in the report, uh, it says that Freeman is totally off limits. That's that's a quote from Heyman, um, and that uh, any talk around Tehran is already cooling off considerably. Um, I think it's pretty clear that the asking price for Julio is through the roof. Um, we saw that it took a massive package to return Shelby Miller, or, uh, you know, over the winter, and I think it might even be higher for Julio in season, given his cost control and given that. You know he's proven more than more than Miller has proven, um, and obviously I don't I don't want to pile on Shelby Miller who's having a poor season in Arizona. But even then, last year was easily his best year in a while uh, in the Braves uniform. And while Julio was you know had a rough had a rough go of it last year, he's kind of had more of a more of a track record of success than, than Shelby did at the same amount, at the same amount of time. And he you know arguably has a better contract considering it goes longer and has um, it's through it's through arm in a couple more years. So um, no surprise to see that Heyman is reporting this. Kind Kind of stuff, but it is noteworthy because a lot of the questions that we get on a regular basis, both in the comments on Twitter, you know, various places, is always around Freeman and Tehran and the trade rumors. And it looks like neither one of those guys is going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, especially since a lot of the teams that could deal for Tehran and would have the prospects to deal for Tehran aren't going to deal with them. You know, it's just you don't deal guys. You know, most of the time you don't deal these top prospect guys unless it's you know a very very specific circumstance and. You know, one, the name that comes often up more often than not is the Red Sox, and I don't think it's lost on Frank Wren, the now team president of the Red Sox, that the team that wants to get rid of Tehran is the team that fired him. So you know, it's just kind of you know, it's, there's there's factors that go into big package deals like that, and that ultimately both teams there's so much risk associated with on both sides that it's almost just not worth it. And we're kind of getting to that point where Tehran, where you know, the deal that would take to get him would be so expensive that it just becomes cost prohibitive. Yeah, just don't tell Dave Stewart that cuz Dave Stewart, you know, well, paid, paid they, the cost they, they don't have anyone left. No, I know. I just mean <laughs> in general, but uh, yeah, I'm with you on Boston. It's one of those things where it looks good on paper cuz they have some prospects and uh, and a real need in the starting rotation. I think another team that's been brought up a lot is the, is the Pirates. Um, Pittsburgh is trying to compete um, in a big way and they have sort of a couple of uh, prospects that are blocked. 
um, especially Austin Meadows in the outfield, um, because they're you know Pittsburgh's major league outfield right now is awesome yep. um, across the board, and Meadows kind of has nowhere to go, and because they have um, you know Pittsburgh has a, has, a, has sort of a need in the rotation, so that 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 makes some sense, but at the same time. That'd be a deal inside the National League, and again, the asking price is probably yeah. And, and the problem with the Pirates too is they actually have a couple of really young uh, rotation prospects too, with yeah, Tyler, uh, Tyler, Tyler Glasnow and and uh, Taylon, who you know Tayon, who were both really really good, and Jameson's been awesome since he's been called up. So you know, I, I think they're going to try to fit, they figure it out internally, and if they can't figure it out internally, then maybe you know that's a team that could at least call and you know see if there's something that can be worked out. But again, the price is so high. I just don't. I just don't know if it's ever going to happen. Yeah, I'm with you all the way. We're going to be talking about these guys all the way through the deadline because that, that's just the reality of the situation. When you have when you have a team that's not going anywhere in the standings, uh, all the all the talk sort of shifts to the minor leagues and the trade deadline. So yep. those guys are going to come up again. But you know, as of right as of right now, it looks like both guys are uh, cooling off big time uh, on the trade market. And that's yep. you know, depending on where you line up, that that could be a good thing or a bad thing. But that, we'll talk about that more later for sure. Um, elsewhere in the news this week, um, some not so exciting news. Um, Malik Smith left Sunday's game. Uh, he was hit by a pitch, and he's now been diagnosed officially with a broken left thumb. Um, Malik has been quite good lately. Um, he entered Sunday's game with a 373 on base percentage in June. And, um, he's really starting to run as well. 14 stolen bases and less than 200 plate appearances this year, which is you know a, a pace of about 45 steals over a full season. Um, Malik has been a lot of fun, and um, I, I know a lot of Reds fans are really having uh, their uh, their sights set on Malik as a long term answer. But you never want to see a guy get banged up like this. And uh, there's some uncertainty right now as to how long he'll be out. Um, they're going to do some more evaluation on Monday. But um, what, do you, what, what have you seen from Malik's first off, and uh, how worried should Reds fans be about the injury? Uh, well, I mean, anytime you take a you know you take you get hit by a pitch and it breaks something. I mean, it's not like a it's almost like not like on a slide where you can kind of predict you know it's not going to be super severe because there's only so much force that can be behind it. When when a 95 mile an hour fastball hits your thumb and your thumb is between the ball and the bat, that's that's that I can't imagine how much that hurts. And, you know, he tried to stay in the game. He tried to tough it out. Luckily, the training staff did the right thing and got him out because, you know, he a fractured thumb, that can, you know, depending if he – it's debatable as whether he's going to need surgery. And, you know, sometimes you need it, sometimes you don't. It just kind of depends on how the – what the break looks like and how bad it is. Uh, I would I mean, based on him trying to stay in the game, I would imagine it couldn't be super severe. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I would not be surprised if we didn't see Malik's until after the All-Star break. Um, but you know, it's, it's a bummer cause he's so fun to watch. He has, he's such a high energy player. Um, the, the Braves finally figured out that they can probably, they can throw him in there against left-handers and he's not the absolute worst. You know, he's, he's a fun player. You know, he does silly things on the base path sometimes and he doesn't do everything right, but he's not supposed to, he's a rookie uh, and he does a lot of things right. And he's been outstanding defensively too. So so really, it's a bummer. Uh, we're probably going to see Emilio Bonifacio in his place, which is much less exciting than seeing Malik Smith out oh, there. Oh, Lord have mercy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but Bonifacio has been very serviceable down on Gwinnett, and hopefully he doesn't come up here and, you know, bat 220 and, you know, can't figure out how to play any of the 12 positions he can play. But, um, you know, hopefully it works out. Uh, but we're probably going to see more time with, you know, you know, Ender moving around, you know, the outfield based on the, you know, needs and all that stuff. And, Luckily, d- defensively, their Ender's out there, but I really wish we could see Malik out there because he's a lot of fun. Yeah, Ender co- covers up a lot of holes, and I think you know, ideally for me, just throw Ender in center field every day. It doesn't matter what happens, and platoon Bonifacio and Francoeur. Um, that's why yep. that's why what, what I would do at this point. Um, I don't know what Brian Stickler will do. Uh, in the grand scheme, that doesn't matter as much as Malik's um, being healthy long term. I think Agreed. the Braves have every incentive to take it easy with Malik's here. Um, even if they get a favorable a favorable diagnosis, um, throw him on the DL if you need to. Take the extra week. Take the Bobby Cox approach. The extra time. Um, he's fam- he was always famous for that. And you know, with a guy this young on a team that's not going anywhere, there is no reason to rush Malik's here. No, um, not at all. I agree with you for sure, though. It, it is encouraging that he's been playing more against left-handed uh, pitching. There's just no reason not to play him. Um, you got to let this, this this guy grow against lefties. That's been obviously a bugaboo for him and Ender. Um, is their ability to hit lefties, and you know, just not playing them is not going to help anything, um, especially without a uh, another you know a great option. Yes. Obviously, Frank Cor yeah. is better right now against lefties than Malik is, but just play him anyway. Yeah, and it's. You know, with Ender, he has a track record at the major league level of 
not performing against lefties, so that's one thing. But like Malik's hit lefties fine in the minors. You just you you played him five games against lefties, and you decide he can't hit lefties. That just didn't make any sense to me. But yeah, you know, I'm glad, I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad they seem to have figured it out finally. That you know, let the kid play. So yeah, I agree. It's nonsensical. Um, but yeah, hopefully Malik's the results will be uh, in shortly. Maybe even by the time you listen to this, so we might we might look silly here, but. Um, he does have the broken the broken thumb for sure, and we'll see uh, what the Braves like to do with um, his treatment plan. Um, rounding out the news, a couple more things with some of the younger guys. Um, Tyrell Jenkins is officially a member of the Atlanta Braves. Thank you. Um, at yes. the same time, you're you're excited about this, but he's not appeared in a game yet, and he's no. in the bullpen. <laughs> so, so, your thoughts, sir? Okay, we found out uh, the this news broke uh, right before the flyaway game um, or the go away game. Uh, that Tyrell, we found out the night before that Tyrell is getting called up. And, you know, we, we get to talk to a lot of these young guys, and we're really fortunate to be able to do so. And, you know, I, we get to cover the minor leagues, get to cover the majors, and it's, you know, my, I have the best hobby in the world. But I have never been so happy for a player to get called up than Tyrell because he's deserved it. And, like, he's deserved it as a reliever and a starter this year. And it's been a little frustrating kind of how it's been handled and kind of the there's been he's been a bit unlucky with like weather and you know being on short rest and things like that that I feel like that the Braves put him in the bullpen and I was like we talked about this last time I was on I was just so afraid that they were just going to put him in the bullpen and like let other things like other roster management decisions at the major league level where he'll end up a month and a half later he's still rotting in the bullpen and this is a guy who had been really been improving as a starting pitching prospect, and last year was your organizational pitcher of the year. And I just I didn't like the move to the bullpen, but I'm like, if you're going to do it, you have to call him up quickly because if you just let him rot there, you're not doing him any good at all, and you're not doing your club any good. And I'm glad they called him up. Um, as for an appearance, he only got like two hours sleep going. Like he had to come back from the from a road game to get called up. I feel like they kind of want to like give him a little bit of time to adjust and like throw let him throw some bullpens before they actually gets to thrown in there. And I think he would have pitched today, but it just so happens that Tehran decided that he was just going to take matters into his own hands today uh, and just throw a one hitter. So yeah, I was going to say the same thing about Ty. I think today might have been the day they were planning on using him, um, yep. and they just didn't need him. I think yep. there's there's some Braves fans frustrated on Friday and Saturday about him not appearing and over some of the guys who did appear that are far less talented than Mr. Jenkins. Um, so I, I understand that's that could be frustrating, but I, he'll be I, he'll be around soon. <laughs> yeah, I think he, I think it was kind of a he was on two hours sleep thing, and some of those guys uh, I'm not naming names, Casey Kelly and the rest of you that may not be with the big club for a whole lot longer. Uh, they want to get make sure Tyrell has you know all the time to get adjusted. So that one because I think he's going to be I don't think they're sending him back down anytime soon. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm just excited to see him pitch at the major league level, and I think um, I've been a proponent of letting him start. Um, but at yep. the same time, there's a chance that he becomes an upper echelon bullpen arm, and that's okay. So yeah, that's, that's that's totally fine. I want I want him to pitch his way out of a starting spot. Agreed. But full, I, but full I am agreed. fine with letting him be at the major league level because he he definitely deserves it. Yeah, I can't wait to see him pitch. Um, couple couple more things before we move on to the draft stuff, which is obviously your um, part of your expertise, of course, but. Um, uh, Shea Simmons, uh, we got some negative news about Shea Simmons. He was supposed to be um, nearing nearing his uh, comeback from uh, injury. He's got some shoulder discomfort, and they've kind of shut him down again. Um, they did an MRI, and it looks like he's it's all structurally sound, which is which is good, which, good on Shea Simmons. But there's been enough hiccups now where I'm starting to worry. What do you what have you heard about Shea Simmons, and what do you expect him um, as far as uh, the Braves and how they how they handle him moving forward? How careful they should be now, and maybe even giving him a little bit extra time um, more before they bring him back. Uh, I mean, give him all the time he needs. He has shoulder tendonitis, is what he has. It's uh, it's the I guess it's the tendon that kind of connects the lat muscle, uh, which I cannot even begin to tell you exactly what you know where that specifically that is on the back and in near connecting to the shoulder. But I mean, you hear a lot of this like tendonitis and tendonitis and bone spurs. Like these are setbacks that happen a lot with guys who are on Tommy John surgery, uh, and not all Tommy John recoveries are smooth. I mean, there's been, I mean, even recently, the, plenty of careers have been ruined by having Tommy John surgery and needing it. Um, and a lot of guys are never the same when they come back, and a lot of times they just need more time. I mean, they ha- they once guys get going and are trying to get on the rehab trail, you know, the the, the their arm's not used to that workload anymore because they were sidelined for so long. And, you know, once you start really trying to work at it and as hard as Shea throws, uh, 
I can understand that maybe you know maybe his his shoulder just needs some time to kind of get used to doing that again. Um, give him all the time he needs. He's going you know hopefully the tendonitis isn't something that like is a super lingering problem where he doesn't get to come back this year. Um, but I mean, there's right now there's no reason at all to rush him back into that bullpen. The bullpen would could certainly use him because there's some guys in the bullpen who I'm not sure necessarily are major league players anymore or should be anyway. And you know, just let it, let him heal up. And you know, if all the scans, everything I've heard, he's looked good in his appearances. And if he's sore and he has tendonitis, you know, if he if it gets delayed a month, it gets delayed a month. You know, he's a guy that we want to be around long term, and he could be really good if he gets to stay around. Yeah, I think this is one of those frustrating things because you, you you hear that Simmons is close to coming back, and you hear that a couple of times, and they and they have to shut him down. So we've gotten a lot of questions about Simmons and how close he is to coming back. Um, so I wanted to address that, but yeah, I, I'm with you 100. percent um, Take it easy on him. Again, this is not a team that's competing right now, so they have zero incentive to push the young guys. I'm going to say that over and over and over again with every injury nope. thing um, on a young guy. Any any concern, just take it easy, get him healthy, get him ready to go. Um, Last thing before we move on, uh, Lucas Sims was demoted to double-A um, earlier this week. He has been brutal um, recently at Triple-A Gwinnett. His, his, his season-long ERA is now 7.56 at the Triple-A level with um, a walk rate of 6.7 per nine innings, over 50 innings this season. Um, that is not good. No. Um, Lucas Sims had a very hot start and was starting to get that buzz back. Um, this is a former first-round pick that you know a lot of people – Really like his arm and his talent. His strikeout rate is there. Um, the stuff appears to be there, but he really has no idea where it's going right now. And they, the Braves, you know, you, you never like to see guys move down um, a level in the minors. That's usually a really big warning sign. But um, in Sims' case, he just can't throw the ball over the plate right now. No, um, it, he he has some real mechanical inconsistency right now. Uh, it's almost like he's fighting himself uh, in terms of like you know like trying to. It's almost like he you can tell he's almost like tipping his pitches because he feels like he has to do something in his windup and as he's delivering the ball to make sure he's throwing a strike so that when he actually is doing that, like the batter is not confused at all as what's about to happen. And that's a real problem when you're fighting yourself, you can't get your mechanics right, and you're not being deceptive at all. Because what happens with him, uh, and it was probably, oddly enough, I think it was like the, the, one, the, the game that you went to see him when that was like one of the first games he started getting shelled. So I'm just going to blame you. I think it really uh, might be my fault. I was going to bring that up later. But Sims was great <laughs> until I went to Gwinnett and he got hammered. And actually looked great in the first inning. I tweeted about how good he looked. And then the wheels came off and they never came back. It's when all he, my fault. When he isn't going right, you know, when he's going right, his, his fastball does have a lot of like downward run. And, you know, his curveball looks really good. And it sets up everything. The problem is, is like when his fastball isn't on and he's having really trouble throwing it for strikes, it becomes a very flat pitch. And when you're like having to take a little bit off of your 96 and like throwing 92, 93, and you're throwing a flat fastball, and a lot of times you just leave it hanging over the plate, what happens is exactly what you've seen happen to him, which is, you know, he puts a couple guys on base, he doesn't have control that night, so he takes some off and he starts throwing these flat fastballs, and no one, no professional hitter at AAA is going to be fooled by that. It's just not going to happen. Even at AAA, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, like like those guys, those are a lot. I mean, you know, between the journeymen that are just stuck there forever to the guys who are you know about to make the make it the jump to the big leagues, that you're not fooling anybody. So unfortunately, I hope he he has shown the ability to make adjustments. He made them last year in the second half, going into the AFL and coming into this year that he can make adjustments to where he can be a great strikeout pitcher and a guy who could be. someone to be excited about um but i also don't want to undersell what chris ellis has done and he's the guy that took uh lucas's spot in gwinnett and ellis has been outstanding now his first start in gwinnett was a disaster but down in mississippi he's been outstanding all year great control you know great command of the strike zone uh has just kept that he i think he was eight and one at the time of his promotion you know he just like kept his team in games every game every outing just looked great each time he was out there so i think some of this has to do with just how well ellis has been doing as well as to kind of give lucas some time away from you know away from the the spotlight of being so close to the majors to work on some things yeah, and also with Sims, I don't know how much this matters, but this is a local product. He's from Gwinnett County, where where the Gwinnett Braves play. Um, and there's kind of always a buzz when he pitches at Gwinnett because he's from Brookwood. 
uh, yeah. local high school in that area. It's almost like he's he's the attraction. Uh, that that may not help a guy like that either, especially when he starts to struggle, because then he might start pressing even more, knowing that he's. I mean, obviously these guys these guys want to get to the want to get to the majors as soon as possible, and that's always a real you know a pressure pack thing. But being close to home may not be the best thing for a guy that's put that's you know pressing and struggling like that too. So maybe maybe going down to Mississippi will help him straighten some things out. But as you mentioned, there's some there is some. Uh, some mechanical stuff that you have to get through, and uh, you know, I think Braves fans are just wanting to know where he is and why he's not up faster. Because you know, this is again, this is a first round pick that people have been hearing about for a long time, and they started to get that 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 ray of light at the beginning of the year, and now it's uh, it's slowed down. But hopefully, as you mentioned, there's some there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, he's definitely a guy that can make some adjustments, uh, but it's really on him. Uh, this is kind of the year that he has to make that adjustment and keep it. Uh, if he doesn't make it, you know, then a lot of the the folks and there's been a lot of them who have always wondered if he's ever going to make it uh you know they, they may end up being proved out but you know he has plenty of time so absolutely um with all that well all that news out of the way i want to get to your draft thoughts uh the mlb draft is about a week and a half old now at least from the start of it um and eric was our uh, our lead guy on that whole thing last week we gave uh, eric the week off from the podcast um because I think he needed to, you know, take like a three-day hibernation nap after all the content <laughs> that went up. Uh, and, and Scott and I talked about a little bit about about the prospects, but I wanted to get your thoughts on, especially the top tier guys. Um, your overall thoughts on the, on, especially on the, on the on the trio of Ian Anderson, Joey Wentz, and Kyle Mueller. What do you think about um, the uh, the the prospects that they actually are? Um, what do you think about the you know, the overall plan to go over slot on the second two guys and sign, uh, you know, try to sign Anderson a little bit cheaper? What, what were your overall thoughts on, on those three guys? Uh, I am extraordinarily happy. My, what I thought was going to happen is once the news started breaking that Ian Anderson was like the Braves guy, um, and we'll talk a little bit about him in a minute, but you know, and they were going to go under slot with him. I was immediately thinking, oh, that means that there's a guy like a Jason Groom or someone like, or maybe even a Blake Rutherford that was going to fall, and they were going to get two first round picks. And they were going to have to basically overslot one guy and then maybe even have to underslot the 44th pick to pay that guy. Uh, what the Braves ended up pulling off and said is getting three first round picks with three prep arms, which we'll, you know, we'll talk about why Braves fans, you know, lost their minds uh, when all that happened. But fans should be ecstatic that the Braves pulled this off because. It is extraordinarily difficult to pull this sort of strategy off because you have to kind of get guys that are worth it with those 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 like those comp round picks because you, you don't and sign you can, them. Yeah, you have to be able to sign them, and you also have to get guys who are worth signing. You know what I mean? Like, there's plenty of guys who would be kind of like in those twenty to twenty five range ranking type players, which would happily take more money, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there are guys that are worth going under slot with your third overall pick with. And I think that all th- I think that both the guys they got are guys who are worth going over slot for and were signed for the right amount. Um, Ian Anderson, he, he was a guy I looked at, but I, I didn't really think that that was a guy that they were going to be talking about for an under slot deal. If I thought it was going to be an under slot deal, I thought it was going to be a bat, like, you know, maybe a Blake Rutherford or someone like that. And then maybe, you know, sign whoever fell, you know, later on. Um, but the Braves have been on him since last summer, apparently. And like, when Brian Bridges says the comp for him is Mike Mussina, that is not a name you just like. Those aren't names you just kind of throw around lightly. You know what I mean? All, yes, I, I had the same thought last week. It was uh, that was a, a comp that you know Mussina wasn't exactly. It's not exactly like the, one of the best pitchers of all time, but Mussina was an awesome an ar- pitcher. An, yeah, an arguable Hall of Famer, and not like a guy you just pick out as a comp. Like that's yeah. it's, it's a very specific it, comp. It makes me it makes me excited uh, for sure. I'm, I'm sure that he, you know, Bridges is probably doing that exact thing to excite someone like me. But at the same time, it's well, a very specific comp. <laughs> well, that's just it. And you know, when you hear you know the Baseball America guys are like, you know what, we were kind of noticing that the Braves were out in force at every one of Ian Anderson's starts, but we thought they were going to try to get him as an overslot guy at forty. But then I guess the Braves figured out that that was just never was going to happen because like you know it's not like he was they were the only team that were in love with him, um, so they decided to take him at three. Um, Joey Wentz, uh, Joey Wentz, and Kyle Mueller, we might have the best hitting pitching prospects in in the minor leagues. Oh these guys, yes, they, 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 them and Julio. Guys, 
Yep, they, like I'm telling you, we might have the best hitting rotation. I mean, chicks dig the long ball, dude. These guys can hit. Uh, they're big guys. Um, the only the, I, I love both of them. They both have great stuff. Um, Mueller was kind of a, a guy going into the year, and he's the one that actually I worry about the most in that he was kind of like throwing 89-90 as a junior, and then this year really put in a lot of work in the offseason to kind of get his, build his strength up, and he's a big kid. And now he can throw 94-95 and, you know, has a lot of high end associated with him, has a really big frame, uh, is just going to get better and better. My problem with Mueller is he was one of these high school kids that was played constantly. And, like, you know, multi, like you would, would pitch 120 pitches plus, and then three days later go for 130. And, you know, it's, and as a high school coach, I, I don't understand it, but I at least, Understand the rationale that he's our best player, and we want to, you know, try to win state championships or whatever. But a guy with that much, a kid with that much mileage on his arm. Um, shout, oh, out, shout, shout out to Keith Law while we're at it as as a, as a champion of avoiding these kind of things. Uh, Keith Law has been on a rampage lately, especially with the college guys of uh, trying to protect these overuse. And this is an instance where it might come uh, back to bite the Braves a little bit. I think maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, he he's never had any health problems. Um, and he's going to be in short season ball, so you can manage him. You can if you if you're in short season ball and you just you know kind of like you know Colby Allard was a kind of an extreme example last year because he was dinged up a bit, but you know let him pitch a little bit in short season ball. You know what I mean? Give his arm a break and then get down to instructionals and t- take it easy. Just kind of see where he is, but keep his arm healthy so that way his first season in full first season in full season ball, his arm's really like well rested and good to go. You don't want a guy to just constantly be accumulating more and more innings and miles on his arm for no reason. Um, especially since the, the amount of mileage he had in this past, his past, his senior season had, was quite a few. Um, I was really happy with the, the uh, overslot signings. Um, I really like Brett. Uh, I really like Cumberland, the, the catcher from Cal that they drafted uh, with their fourth pick. Uh, I don't think he's going to stick as a catcher um, necessarily. That's the, but, yeah, that's, that's the general consensus, I think, is yeah, that he's more of a hitter than anything else. But 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 the Braves are certainly going to try, uh, and he has experience. I mean, he has you know experience in, at the college level behind the plate, which is not nothing. Uh, and he's a switch hitting power hitter, which I mean, look if you're not sign in lo- me up. <laughs> yeah, like the Braves just were clearly not in love with any of these bats. The, I think they wanted Nick Senzel, but they also knew that the Reds were never going to never going to pass him, pass on him. So if they, if you're not if you if your scouts don't like the bats, then don't pick one until you find one that you like for the right value. And this is a guy who can hit for power from both sides of the plate. And it's not like he like he ha- has this weird athletic profile, which is the only place he could play with catcher. You know, if you put him at first, you put him at left, you put him out in the outfield, you know, wherever he could end up being a, a contributor relatively quickly. Uh, and I mean, I think he's going to start off in short season ball, but I don't think he'll be there very long, especially if his bat plays. Uh, you know, if his if he's catching well, you know, send him back up, send him up the roam right away. And I mean, he could he could be up in the majors quickly. Um, and I don't, and it doesn't sound like there's any signability problems with any of these guys. Um, I really like some of these other overslot signings that they've got going on, um, except for one. I, I am not a big fan of the Bryce Wilson one, where they had like double go double slot on yeah, him. More more than double on the uh, Bryce Wilson's a fourth round uh, pick, uh, right handed yeah. pitcher that was literally a more than double slot price, and that kind of that kind of uh, turned some heads around baseball for sure. Yeah, I mean Matt Rowland, he's the guy they picked in the eleventh round. He's great a great name. Yeah, yeah, that's a strong, strong name. Strong from our, name on Matt Rowland. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he uh he he has a really good breaking ball uh throws hard i'm I was ecstatic at that signing the problem with bryce is like i haven't read anything or seen anything that suggests that he isn't anything but a reliever at the major league level and you sign him for 1.2 million and there's a there's a, a junior college guy who actually was from the same junior college as justin ellison who was a pick last year like they they might not be able to sign this guy this kid and this other guy he, I mean he's a power hitting junior a junior college guy and they may not be able to sign him because they might not have the pool money for it versus Bryce Wilson who I'm not sure if he profiles as a guy who's going to be a starter down the road uh, but at the same time you kind of trust the Braves scouts because ultimately they kind of have a lot they figured a lot especially a lot out especially in terms of scouting pitchers and if they really feel like paying this kid. And getting him in the system is worth that much money. Then maybe, you know, the Baseball Americas and the you know us and 
others we're we're missing something and we don't have the information that they do um because he certainly does have a live arm but it was more of a whether or not he has a third pitch is going to be the biggest issue yeah we so. should we should say that um just to just to be clean up clean up on this stuff is uh Wentz and Mueller both signed Wentz signed for 3.05 million dollars yep. Mueller signed for 2.5 million um Anderson is not signed yet and but most people think seem to think that's because he hasn't graduated high school yet uh, yeah that's exactly what it is no, there's, um, there's there's no and there's an agreement there from what most people think there's an agreement in place is that what is that what you've heard at least they had he can't sign essentially Yes, uh, it's it's it has to do with you know some amateur rules and you know eligibility for other things and that no one has said anything other than just as soon as he graduates high school he's just going to come sign his contract and come down. Um, so, it's just, just being from a northeast state, you know, the school runs longer, deeper into the year for them, and this takes a little longer. Yeah, so I just want to get that out there that these guys, it's not as if the Braves are still crossing their fingers and hoping to sign once in the nope. Those guys are those guys are signed, still delivered. They'll be they're already members of the organization and. Um, the plan, uh, as it was, was executed the way they wanted it to. They got three of the top, you know, twenty-five prospects in the draft. Yep. And, um, now Braves fans, you know, lost their minds when all three of them were high school prep pitchers. Which oh is, yes, let's do this again. Yep. Uh, and look, this is the this is the this was the deepest part of the draft. This is where the most talent was. If you want the Braves to take a guy who's a college bat, but maybe they don't like very much, you know, a Kyle Lewis, who a lot of us liked. But at the end of the day, eleven teams passed on him, which makes you wonder maybe he doesn't have. You know, there's more than just the the Braves that were making a decision on him and ultimately deciding maybe it's best we do something, we go a different direction. You know, a lot of team, a lot of people were upset that we, oh, who's ever going to score runs, and I'm like, if you don't think this guy is going to score runs, why would you pick him? You pick the best player available, and you try to get the most talent in your system, and then you kind of have to sort out the rest. You know. However, you can, but you don't just pick a guy because he swings a bat from the left side or whatever. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And we and we talked about it a lot last week with Scott and I. So I don't want to I don't want to belabor the point, but you take the best players. It's, it is what it is. Um, you know, I know the casual fans are never going to like it, but nope. Hopefully, this works out and they won't be able to say anything. Um, it's one of those <laughs> things where in four you know four or five years from now, these guys are up and about to be. Uh, Making debuts and looking good, then maybe people won't be so worried about it. So we'll we'll leave it there for now. But um, one one big one big question that we've been getting a lot since the draft um is uh, has to do with our talking shop prospect rankings. Uh, I won't make you break down the whole list because we we do that every every so often. And Eric Eric and Garrett and those guys work very hard on this list. But um, a question we have been getting a lot is where will where 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 exactly right now would you have uh, Anderson, Wentz, and Mueller on the overall prospect list for the Atlanta Braves? Uh, okay, uh, I asked, uh, this is a kind of a general idea, is that we, we always have like a working prospect list for each of us, um, and basically we just kind of argue and yell at each other until we kind of get it all sorted out. Uh, this year's a little different because it was last year, it was just Garrett and I, uh, but this year we also have uh, Garav, a.k.a. Bra- Braves Reddit, uh, for those of you who follow him on Twitter, uh, he's fantastic. Yeah, he and, does a great I'll, job. Yeah, and uh, the newcomer Matt Powers, who has been, Excellent, since he's, re- he's come over as well. What we did is we basically, I asked them all to make their, pro- their just their preliminary, what their top 30 or so uh, prospects in the system are. Uh, we talk a little bit about it just to kind of make sure we don't, like, you know, it's easy to forget a name here and there and things like that, um, just to kind of make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But, um, sorry, I'm having, I'm accidentally deleting people's stuff. Um, so, generally what we have right now, and just kind of looking at the lists, Ian Anderson has been ranging between fifth, between five and seven on, on, on most lists so far. Um, then we have Joey Wentz, uh, who's been anywhere from eighth to around 11th. Uh, and then Kyle Mueller, who's been as high as 13th, uh, but has actually been as low as like 17th or 18th. Uh, so, yeah, so he, so, you know, all three are top 25 guys. Um, there's been some variances to where we put, you know, some of them. Uh, I, there's not been much overlap actually at all in terms of where they've been ranking, but you know, it's more of a little bit of preferences. The there's certain pitchers and certain position players, uh, especially pitchers though, that like you know, that kind of shuffle the rankings a little bit. Uh, but that's kind of the general areas where we have all three of those guys. As far as um, I'll ask you this two different ways. As far as um, the overall list, like how many pitchers in general would you would kind of rank ahead of Anderson in the system right now? Are you talking about two or three? Uh, let's see here. Two, two. 
uh, between two and three. Um, and wh- where do you have where do you, where do you have these guys individually on your uh, personal me, list? Uh, personally, I have I have Anderson at six. Uh, I have Wentz at eleven. And I'm actually one of the lower men on Mueller. I have him at 19. But you know, to add the, so to that, add I say low. I say low man as though. I mean, these are high school prep. Right, pitchers, I was gonna say it's the high school lefty. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is, I mean, I am generally a little more pessimistic on high, on on draftees in general, especially high school guys. Uh, we were we we had Allard at like nine, I think, uh, at the midseason point last year, just because we didn't have all the information on him. Especially he was you know he was didn't pitch very much a senior year. Um, we have a little bit more information on these guys, and and other than some minor injury injury stuff with Anderson, you know, we got to see him pitch, and we there's lots of information out there on him. Um, so uh, we felt a little better about ranking him a little higher in the top ten. Um, but uh, the three pitchers I have ahead of those guys, I, I have I still have Nukem ahead of him, uh, and he's really been coming. He, his last start, he was really good. Uh, I still have Allard. Uh, he just made his. Uh, he actually had his first good start of the year. Uh, and I also have Mike Soroka ahead of him. As the world's most leading Mike Soroka expert, expert I believe that you are. Uh, I don't know if I'd say all that, but I do. I like the kid a lot. I he, you know, just from a makeup standpoint, he's you know he's off the charts. But he just when his worst start is giving up three runs, you're just like you just put your hands up and like, what is this kid? You know, usually you know, at least an 18 year old will like you know give up six runs, and you're like, well. Better luck next time. But if like he gives out three runs, like you're just like you, you actually wonder what's wrong with him because he's been so good this year. Yeah, I, I like Sorka a lot too. Um, before we get away from prospects altogether, uh, we we do we did, we did get a mailbag question that kind of pertains to this from uh, at Clayton Pickens. Uh, he asks um, so almost two different questions. Um, uh, a, who has the highest ceiling among the prospects in the system right now? Uh, and, you, and you can include the three uh, guys we just drafted if you need, if you need to. And also, um, who is the most realistic possibility to be the ace of the Brave staff long term? Um, whatever you think that means, whether it's just becoming a one or two uh, ish uh, in a rotation, or like who's the most realistic guy to reach that point, and who has the highest ceiling? Okay, we're going to talk about highest ceiling first because this is going to make Brad happy. Tuki, Tuki Tassan. Yeah. Been, uh, have you been following his starts of late, Brad? I have, but I'm gonna let you elaborate because I don't want to get uh, I don't want to go off. The rails. <laughs> do you want to, don't want to get too excited. Uh, his last three starts, he has pitched uh, 20 innings, uh, which is good. You want to be averaging around, you know, if you want you want to be getting close to seven innings to start, and that's exactly what he's been doing. He has given up a total of one run. Oh, it's happening! It's all happening! And, and he's walked a total of four batters. Yeah, he has. <laughs> He's looked really, really good. Um, velocity starting to come back up. He's locating his pitches. The curve is still the curve. Um, not, you know, you kind of wish he was striking out with his stuff. You'd almost think, how has anyone hit it? But he's, he feels like it feels like he's learning how to pitch. He's getting weak contact. Uh, he, I mean, he's given up ten hits total in his past three starts. You know, it's that, that's you don't ask anything else from a guy other than that. Uh, for our before our fans, before we get away from Tuki, if you haven't seen his curveball yet, go find the video. Go go find the uh, video. Go, we go, have, no, we have it on t- our site. It's uh, it is on JJ Cooper's Twitter. Uh, it it was pinned. It was his pinned tweet for literally three months. As was, it should just, be, it, it's majestic. It, it is majestic. Just watch Tuki's curveball. Uh, it is a fun fun pitch to watch. And when he is pitching well, he he's not hittable. And you know that's. Something that we kind of throw around a little bit sometimes, but when when his curveball has bite and he's throwing it for strikes, I mean they don't make bats wide enough to, to hit that thing. They just don't. Um, he he's so in terms of ceiling, Tuki's a pretty easy answer. He can throw mid to high nineties with a plus plus curveball um, and a changeup that's improving. Uh, it's still not a very good one, but it's it's getting there. Um, and you know he's twenty years old, so he has plenty of time to figure out how to throw one. And um, more realistic, though, I mean, I like the idea. I I like a player like Soroka as an ace down the road. Maybe not as a, a hard-throwing, crazy good stuff, but maybe like a guy with three-plus pitches uh, that, you know, if he can throw them all consistently as plus pitches, that's exactly what you want out of a major leaguer. And, an, and with his command of the strike zone, could easily be an ace. Um but it's hard. It seems like a, the Braves have a lot of 
guys. They, they either have guys with a lot of ceiling, you know, the Colby Allers, the Tuki Tassants, the Sean Newcombs, who could be, you know, what the definition of an ace is, which realistically there's only 10 guys in the entire league that have that, have that sort of stuff. But more realistically, there's a lot. The Braves seem to have a lot of guys who are going to be like that two to three range. But if you have a rotation full, full of twos and threes, you're not doing bad. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Nukem. I'm, I'm, this is not a question we got, but more of one from me. Um, a lot of people have been starting to worry about Nukem um, because of the uh, the control. Uh, I think, on, especially on Twitter this last week or so, people are starting to kind of sound the alarm with Nukem. I'm not doing that. Um, he's only 20. He just turned 23 years old. But, you know, what, what have you seen from Nukem, at least lately? Um, I know the control is at least worrisome to a certain extent, but are you, are you actually worried about it long term? Uh, I mean, I think he's going to be a guy who walks guys, uh, just always. Like he, not, not a lot. Yeah, like, and that's fair. I mean, like, I mean, you don't want him walking five guys a game, but there's plenty of very, very good pitchers that walk three guys a game, and that's just that's just true. The thing about him is that he needs to make sure he is making adjustments, but to throw more strikes doesn't have to be a ton because you still want to keep guys honest. I mean, th- you don't you don't want to throw strikes all the time. You want to throw. Be, you want to kind of live on the edges so that way at least guys have to guess as to whether or not they're going to be you know, taking a, a ball or a strike. He just needs to make sure his stuff isn't hittable because in three of his last four starts, he's given up four hits or less. But in the other one, he gave up ten, which that wasn't good at all. Um, he's been much better at limiting damage, and he's been cutting down. The, the, strike, the, the, ball, the walks have been getting better. Uh, I wish he was striking out a few more guys to kind of coincide with that drop-off, but it's pretty clear he's making adjustments to what he's what, to his approach in pitching. I mean, his last start, he gave up two earned runs, zero walks, seven innings, three hits. We'll take that all day, I'm pretty exactly. sure. Uh, he's, he's, he's still having to figure things out, but, I mean, the jump to double-A is the, one of the tougher jumps that you can make in the minors um, because that that's kind of the where you kind of lose the most guys. Um, and that's so the hitters that you're going against really do know how to hit and know how to, you know, manage, you know, manage counts and things like that. And he's just, you know, he's a guy who's relatively new to pitching, uh, especially for a college guy. Uh, and he's still, you know, he's still striking out plenty enough guys. Uh, and if you just, if just give him some time, um, is he going to be a guy who we see of in Atlanta this year? Probably not. Um, but, he still has plenty of time, and he, his stuff is very, very good. And if he gets just a little bit better at harnessing it, he's going to be really good. Yeah, I'm still a big fan as well. I think it's almost uh, – it's a, well, it's not even almost. It's, it's unfair to Newcomb that he's going to get compared to Simmons because um, that, that was the exchange. He, he was the principal return for Anderson Simmons, so the pressure is going to be a little bit higher on him because people, people just love Anderson Simmons and with good reason, um, especially, you know, he hasn't had a great year in, in, uh, with the Angels by any means, but um, no. people are going to remember how, how good and how electric he was here. So to be the guy that you get for Anderson Simmons kind of adds that extra layer of pressure on Newcomb. And I think it also led a lot of fans to think he was closer than he was when he got here. Um, but as you mentioned, there's still plenty of time here. He just turned 23, um, you know, and he's got real stuff. His high-end stuff is real. Yep. And yep. Um, even if he's not like a super-duper ace, I think, I think there's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty good bet that he's going to make it. And it's so hard for, to find a super – like I, I feel like that people will just like, think that these super-duper aces are just floating around all over the place oh, on everyone, yeah, on everyone else's team. And it kind of drives me crazy because there are not many of those guys. Well, I think, not, part of the, I think part of the thing with, with Newcomb is that he was easily Los Angeles' best prospect, but it, it was because they had no prospects. Like, he, like he's an awesome pro, uh, he's a really good prospect but at the same time it was like oh he's he's the, he's, he's, he's the easily one prospect it's, it's, yep. it was like because the angels had nobody else yep so, i mean he's still even even with the year he's had this year where it's been he's been pretty good uh it had has had a couple rough starts but you know nothing 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 too crazy you know still an era under four still striking out a batter an inning that's still good he's still a top 30 prospect in baseball and those those are guys that you want in your farm system uh and i I'm pretty sure that if the Angels could take it back, they would actually send back Angelton Simmons because their farm system is the worst I've seen since I've been following farm systems. Theirs which, is really which bad. Which is amazing considering you saw the Braves a couple years ago and how bad it was. Yeah, no, this worse. Well, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. the thing. It's I, the, the, I, I mean, I have to look at their draftees this year. I'm not sure if they have a top top 100 prospect on their in their minor league system. Period. 
Woo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, we, 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 won't, we won't bury the angels, but that's, that's not a lot of fun. No. Um, Eric, I'm, uh, I'm not going to keep pestering you with questions. Is there anything you need to plug or want to get, uh, get out there? I know, obviously, our Talking Chop, uh, our prospect guys are always turning out content. Anything, anything in particular that you want to put out there today for the uh, listeners to go out and check out? Uh, yeah, short season ball. Um, n- now that we've had the draft, the short season ball is about to start. Uh, it's going to be starting in the 23rd or 24th, I think, with uh, the GCL Braves and the Danville Braves. Uh, Garrett, as soon as I let him sleep for a little while, he's going to write up a preview uh, about short season balls, see where a lot of these draftees are going to be playing. Uh, uh, spoiler alert, probably a lot of them are going to be on the GCL Braves since they're mostly high school prep guys. Um, but uh, and then d- the July July second, the international free agent market is just around the corner, and uh, that's going to be pretty exciting, especially for these fans who really want to see more bats in the system. Because the top player in the entirety of the international free agent market, Kevin Maton, is supposed to be kind of one of those once in a generation talents. Um, you don't really get to sign these guys as amateurs very often, and the Braves are the overwhelming favorites to sign him. Uh, you're talking about the third base prospect in all likelihood who can really 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 hit has been compared favorably to Miguel Cabrera and that in terms of like international signees that's not a name that gets comps he's lord have mercy yes no so most scouts saying like you know you never say anyone's a sure thing anymore because you know things do happen but no one thinks that that this guy is going to be a miss and you know that's very exciting for the Braves fans, and once we kind of you know do a little bit of short season, you know, preview stuff, uh, we're gonna have more international free agent market stuff coming up, and uh, hopefully you know sometime after the All Star break, I'll get to sleep, and that's gonna be pretty exciting for me. Yeah, Eric and those guys have been killing it. Uh, be sure to to stay tuned to uh, Talking Chop throughout that. Uh, the Braves have an off day on Monday before they resume uh, playing. They're playing on Tuesday in Miami against the Marlins. Start a series there and. Uh, be sure to stay tuned to everything that we do. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Talking Shop. You can follow me at BT Rowan. You can follow Eric at Leprechaun. Uh, and we will, uh, if, if you're going to have trouble spelling that, we will put it in the post. Um, Eric, we appreciate your time as always, my friend. Absolutely, man. It's always good talking to you. Thanks for having us, everybody, and stay tuned for next week's episode.